from the in-person service. And I had a ball. I don't know about everybody else because I was preaching to a live uh, crew right there. And uh, so if you're watching online today, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe you need to post something in the chat as I'm speaking because I love a bit of interaction. But we had a really lovely uh, morning. Um, And so, yeah. So, um, I don't know if we've got any mountaineers amongst us. Scott, I heard recently Scott did a bit of a walk. I think he walked about 20-odd K. You know, he's now three inches shorter. (laughs) 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 But uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Victoria and I, um, we had the opportunity to be, uh, took a day and we went and climbed Loch Nagar, which is quite a big mountain up at Braemar and Balata area. And it was a crystal clear Day. It was absolutely beautiful. When we got to the top, you could see the whole of the northeast of Scotland. I mean, it was really amazing. But I also remember a time, and we're going back quite a while, where I was on Loch Nagar with two other guys who said they knew where they were going, if you know what I mean. And, uh, you know, uh, and the weather really shifted very quickly, and we very quickly got turned around, got completely lost, the fog was in, and it was actually a really unnerving experience. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that, but I remember, you know, I had my Nokia, what is it, 2210, is that right? You know, and I, I remember like getting, that's, a, that's aging me now, isn't it? You know, and getting like one bar of signal, and uh, I remember thinking, who am I going to call? And... Um, <laughs> Definitely not Ghostbusters. <laughs> but I thought, do you know, I, I know, I know, Simon Glazier, my friend Simon, he's the kind of guy that just might have like an ordnance survey map in his desk drawer at work. <laughs> you know, thank you, Simon. You know, you know, this moment. Anyway, I phoned Sai, and sure enough, he had a map in his drawer. And I remember describing where we were, and I remember him talking us through and getting us back on track. And we were looking for a well-worn path at that point, you know, to then take us back to the car park. But, you know, in those moments where we're turned around, you know, in that moment when I was turned around, I definitely needed a well-worn path. But that's not always the right path in life. You know, I think it was Robert Frost who said, you know, sometimes the road less traveled is the right one. And today, you know, when a bunch of circumstances come together to create a possibility of change or there's a crisis or an opportunity, what is going to govern our decision-making moment? You know, what is the compass in our life? Who or what is going to shape or determine the decisions that we make? And we're going to look today at a moment in the life of David. I want to call it a Kairos moment. God orchestrates an opportunity the big question is, is what's he going to do with it? And so we're continuing in our Becoming series, following the life of David from a shepherd boy to then eventually becoming king. And it's a really not an easy transition. Um, Chuck talked a couple of weeks ago of, his, of, of Samuel anointing David just as a kid, really. And then the next thing we know, here's Goliath, that moment. And David arrives in, in that moment in a public manner and defeats him. Um, you know, we heard from Taran just last week that David's in Saul's service and he's got this really sort of kindred spirit with Saul's son, Jonathan. But Saul has begun to really... Um, 
like allow jealousy to fester and grow in his life to the point where really he's now seeking uh, to, to really get rid of David. He, he sees him as a direct challenge to his power and his authority. And for any of us who know that, you know, trying to hold on to something that you know is not yours is not a good thing, is it? Like, is it, guys? You know, we, we, it, you know it's going to get messy, and it really, really does get messy. And so Saul is seething, and he's really pursuing David, and David is a man on the run. <laughs> there you go. You know, he is. He is being pursued by <laughs> Saul. I'm making the guys in the studio laugh here, or Chris was cringing a bit. He's like, that's why James is not on the worship team. Okay, but he's on the run. And so we're going to pick it up. 1 Samuel 24, we're going we're gonna to find that David is in a place of hiding and Saul is after him. 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. I mean, Saul's jealousy now is pulling men off the front line and he's creating vulnerability for the nation, his real enemies, you know, the Philistines. And now he's pursuing uh, what he perceives as an internal enemy. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. I just want to say that again. In the ancient Hebrew, it says he went in to relieve himself. <laughs> no, the Bible's hilarious. So real, isn't it? David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said, to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken. For having cut off just a corner of the robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift a hand against him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See my father. Wow, look at the language he's using here. So honoring. Look at the piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. And then I'll skip down for time, down to verse 16. When David finished saying these things, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept out loud. 
You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. For the Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. It's a proper, proper moment, a pivotal moment, a kairos moment. You know, what, what do you do with a moment like that? And here, uh, just like I've got a couple of observations of what goes on in this, in the darkness, in the hidden, in the quietness of this cave. The first thing is this, that David listens to the right person. He listens well. I, I don't know. You ever shouted in a cave? You know, wow! And you hear the echo, ooh, you know, firing around. There are many voices in the darkness of this cave. Now, those voices might all be whispered, but they're definitely there. Look at that. The voice of peer pressure, the voice of his men saying to him, come on, David. Oh, they'd have been really whispering in his ear, wouldn't they? Come on, don't you realize this is what you've been talking about? We've trusted you. You said to us that one day God will deliver us. He will bring our enemies here. And God is, is we're, we're right here, David. This is it. He's, he's handing him to you on a plate. Oh, that's pressure, isn't it? And they're absolutely right. God has orchestrated this moment. When you think about it, in all the caves in this valley, he walks into this one. You know, we often, don't we, say that God moves the heart. He also can move the bowel. <laughs> I mean... And he gets him alone. He moves him from a place of power. 3,000 men with him. 600 hiding in the, in the cave. I mean, David is so outnumbered and in a place of vulnerability. Their back's against the wall. And suddenly, he has to go. When nature calls, you got to go. He then comes into the cave thinking, right, I'm on my own. That's it. He hasn't a clue what on earth is about to happen. Now, I'm just going to speak to the ladies just for a minute. Because men and women are different. If you didn't already know that, you will in a minute. You know, when you're out, like out, out, you know, you're at a wedding or you're out in town and there's a bunch of you, maybe you're having a big meal and you're having a few drinks. All it takes is one lady to go, oh, I'm just popping off to the loo. Invariably, three others go, oh, I'll come too. I'm just going to verify. Isn't that true, Emma? <laughs> it's true. I just want to say this. Girls, lads don't operate like that at all. If we were in that situation and I turned to Scott and went, hey, I'm just going to Lou, and Scott went, oh, would you like me to come too? It would be like, eh, what's the, what is going on here? It would be like the great unseen laws of the universe would be breaking up. I can imagine Doc from uh, uh, Back to the Future going, oh, the time, time continuing, Marty, is, it's over. You know, we go alone. That's what we do. And God gets him alone. And he's vulnerable. And so in this moment, the guys are absolutely right. God's orchestrated this. Now you can do with him as you wish. And that's the classic moment. As you wish. 
Not as they wish, as you wish, David. I know, what other voices would have been in that moment? I know David has been on the run. I mean, he is suffering. You know, in a crisis or an opportunity, our own stuff comes to the surface, doesn't it? It just does. He's been on the run. He's been rejected. He's been, you know, things have been thrown at him. He's been accused of things. His own sense of injustice would have risen to the surface without a doubt. But not only his, an entire nation. I mean, before getting to this moment, Saul went into a town and murdered everybody in it because they harbored David. I mean, in the cave is the voices of innocent people going, we need justice. This is wrong. That would have been a burden. I can stop the suffering of my nation. My nation is vulnerable right now. Saul should not even be here. He should be protecting us. I can stop all of that. You know, I've ever been bullied. You ever bullied at school? Bullied at work? Bullied in your neighborhood? I don't know. I had a bit of that. And honestly, confession time, there's been times I fantasize I would see those people again. And now I would have the power. Now I would have the authority. I would feel justified in doing something about that. Our own flesh, and I think even David's flesh would have risen up in this moment. Are we going to listen to the lads? Are we going to listen to our own stuff? And so... Go with me into the cave, because now he's now doing the full-on stealth thing, SAS, towards Saul. Like, it must have been a huge cave to hide 600 blokes in the back. That would have been quite a long creep, quite a long crawl. And while he's doing that, he's on his own. It's just him now. And it says that he cuts off a bit of Saul's robe. And we read there, what happens there? It says he's conscience stricken. Oh, he's conscience stricken. Even just by taking a bit of the rope that isn't his, his conscience is moved. God's spirit convicts him in that moment. I could have. Lo said I should have, but I didn't. And I didn't. Because my conscience was being moved by God's spirit. He was listening to, the, to God's voice, to God's voice alive in him. And, and, you know, let's be, he had a good track record of it. He's listening to the voice that, you know, when he came down and saw the armies of the Philistines and the Israelites, he, he couldn't help it. He, he's like something in him reacted to that moment. And he's like, oh, what is this affront to the, to the Lord's armies? Who's going to go? You know, it's like a moment where his heart, his conscience is responding. Or the moment where Saul then dresses him in his own armor. He's like, oh, I can't go in these things. I can't be like you. I can't be like all the other warriors. i got to be me and who God's made me to be. His conscience was being moved. It moved then, and it, and it brought victory then, and now his conscience has been moved in the darkness of this moment. And guess what? It's the right move. Do we have a track record of hearing God's voice and obeying? David definitely did. And he was being, and it was this, this cave moment was kind of testing what was his motives, what was going on under, 
underneath it all. David was listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to the right voice. And when we listen to our conscience, when we listen to God's voice, it transforms, it changes how we see the world. It changes how we see even our enemies. Even those who are antagonistic towards us. We see things then from a different perspective, from God's perspective, a higher perspective. We see that overcoming evil with more evil, even if it's just a little bit of evil, because that's what the guys were asking him to do. Even if it's just a little bit, it doesn't make it right. I read this amazing little quote the other day. It says, God's blessings won't compromise his principles. God's blessings, God's goodness, God's power and authority in our lives won't compromise his principles. God's goodness, his reward, his authority is given. It's never taken. And that's what's at stake here. In other words, how David becomes king will determine the kind of king he's going to be. And he isn't going to take something that isn't his. He wants to receive it. We can't take it. Because whenever we do, and church history and history will show us, and, and, and clearly does, we become like all the other institutions. We become like all the other kings around us. And in this moment, God wants a king and a leader that's not like all the others, but one after his own heart. It's a powerful moment. What's going on in this cave is that God wants his kingdom to be established in the heart of David before he gives him the reign of his kingdom. And for us, we need the rule and the reign of God at work in us, in the secret place, in the hidden place, in the places of tension and decision-making. And so that when we listen to him in those moments, he will give us the keys of his kingdom, his power, his authority. He knows in this moment that it is, you know, that, 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 that Saul is God's. God had raised him up and it's for God to bring him down, not for him to tear him down. It's not his take. The kingdom of God for us, we use this as a parallel, is a gift. And it's given to us. And we need to have God's rule and reign in us. I love just the sweetness of David's heart in the face of an angry, jealous man. In verse 10, He's constantly referring to as master, anointed, even father. So honoring, so loving, so kind. This isn't the enemy. And what he does in this is he steps up then and influences. And well, first of all, he embodies what the kingdom is about. And then he influences the people around him. 
Doesn't he do that? He actually turns around to his own men and says, guys, we are not taking the kingdom by the sword. We're going to do it God's way. And he rebukes his own men because he wants his own men to understand God's ways. I don't know if you can hear the echo now of Peter, one of Jesus' disciples coming, you know, to Jesus. And Jesus asks him a question and he says, you know, you're the Messiah. You are the new king. It's brilliant. And we're on your side. And you're going to overthrow the powers, the present power and authority that's causing havoc. And then Jesus says to him, no, no, you don't understand. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to lay down my life and die. And Peter's response is, no, you cannot do that. You see, he saw, he saw some of it right, but misunderstood the big picture. And that's exactly what was going on with the peer pressure from his own men. They saw the opportunity. They saw that it was God, but they wanted to take it for themselves. And so David rebukes and Jesus rebukes because he wants to bring his own people into an understanding, a higher understanding of who he is and what the gospel of grace is all about. What does he do? Ultimately, he, he gives soul back to God. Aren't we, called, aren't we all called to do that? We're not called to retaliate. We're called to give our enemies back to God and do what? Pray for them. It's amazing. I'll quote the wisest person I know, my wife, Victoria. She said to me the other day, it's not our place to pick up the tools of retaliation. You know, how does that outwork in our lives, in our workplaces, our relationships with our neighbors? I don't know, you know, uh, what about when we're driving and someone cuts us up? It's a moment, isn't it? We don't take them down, but we give them back. When they've been handed to us on a plate, we give them back to God. Turn the other cheek, give them our jackets. We're called to overcome evil, not with more evil, but with goodness. That's what Romans says. The cave acted as a catalyst for the kingdom to be expressed through David's choices and actions. That fulcrum kairos moment became a moment where man saw evil but actually what's happening is God's turning it around for good and it's all happening through David's decision making and choices and just we're going to land now because I don't know if you noticed this but as we started this passage there was an opportunity, it's like an opportunity sandwich. There was an opportunity for David to make a decision. And then we've got this bit in the middle where it's all happening in the dark and in the hidden. And then as David then comes out of the cave, Saul has an opportunity. You know, what we see here is that David comes out of the cave and what's he doing? He's holding up. He's holding up a bit of the robe, a bit of Saul's robe. And not only is he holding it up, he's bowing down in all humility and making himself vulnerable. What is he doing here? He's coming out to confront Saul 
by, you know, and Saul's actions, but he's doing it with all humility and he's holding up the word of the Lord to Saul. And the reason why I say this is this. I mean, it must have been quite an arresting moment because for Saul, this was deja vu, like big time. Because if you read in chapter 15 of this book, Saul has been disobedient to God. And, and, and Samuel the prophet comes in and challenges him and holds him to account. And they have a bit of a ding-dong. And in this ding-dong, uh, so, uh, Samuel is about to leave. And as he turns to leave, Saul quite aggressively reaches out and grabs a hold of Samuel's robe. And it is torn from him. And in that moment, Samuel turns to Saul and says, Today, the kingdom has been torn from you and given to another. (sighs) And here is David holding another bit of robe. The truth of what's already been said is being fulfilled in front of his eyes. And it is an and he's doing it in a humble, uh, the most humble uh, way possible. You see, it suddenly becomes an opportunity now for Saul. You see, Saul has been pursuing David. But the reality is God is pursuing Saul. There's an opportunity for Saul now to let go. The truth is out. He's lost his kingdom. And I really believe in this moment, there is a grace window opening up through David's actions. That if you like, the gospel of grace is coming to Saul. And I think if he could choose in this moment to lay down his pride, the future that he had would be very, very different. It might not be easy, but I believe in this moment, David has given him a lifeline. You know, there's another cave. <laughs> there's another cave. There's another cave moment where Jesus, he goes through the suffering of Gethsemane. He makes the choices. He says, I'm going to bring the kingdom, not by the sword, but by trusting my father in heaven. And he goes to the cross and they stick him in a cave. And after three days, he comes out of that cave and he is holding a message. He is the message to all the souls in the world who are bitter, angry, you know, fed up, made mistakes. And he offers us a message of mercy and of forgiveness. And each and every one of us can make a decision in that moment. Will I embrace it or do I just continue? You know, in Matthew 21, and I'm going to finish now. Matthew 21, Jesus has told this amazing parable about a vineyard. And uh, he's speaking to the spiritual leaders of his nation, the souls of his nation. And he says, therefore, I will tell you, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you and given to a people who are going to produce fruit. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he who whom it falls will be crushed. And the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable. They knew that Jesus was speaking 
about them. It's a funny phrase that, isn't it? He who falls on this stone. Jesus is saying, he who falls over this mercy moment will be broken. In other words, the bitterness, the brokenness, the jealousy will have to be broken off you. I can do that. There will be a breaking, but there is also a mending. But then it says, but those who it falls on will be crushed. And the reality is in this moment, there is a mercy moment for Saul. Oh, wow. And there is a mercy moment for you and me. The saddest thing is this. Saul leaves that place. And in just over two chapters later, he's back pursuing David because he just cannot let go. And David spares his life again. Oh, my word. Choice. Choices in the cave. Choices in the cave. And for you and me, I don't know where we're at today. Maybe you are trying to wrestle with whose voice to follow in all of this. You know, we're coming out of COVID. I tell you what, we want to be coming out of the cave of COVID, if you like, with a real sense of I've made good decisions. I'm pursuing God. I want to be different. I, want to, I don't want to be like all the others. I want to be like Jesus. And maybe you're like, actually, I'm outside. I am Saul. I'm a mess. And I need the grace. And so if that's you today, just receive it. Maybe where you are, you maybe need to kneel and just go, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, David. I'm sorry, I don't know, to your wife or to your husband. And let's, you know, I believe in this moment, there is a restoration moment brought about by David's choices. And the kingdom of God reaches through now to touch our lives. And so, Father, we pray for us, And for all of us watching and listening, I pray your grace would come. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this morning and you're just really aware of bitterness and anger and frustration. You know it's in the way. Why don't we just give that to God? Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you want to pray with me. Jesus, I give you my mess. I feel like I've been confronted with the truth today. And I don't want to keep living this way. I don't want it to eat me up and destroy me. I want to receive your forgiveness and I want to walk in new life. For those of us who are in that place, Thank you that it was grace, forgiveness, and goodness. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Amen. And if you've said that prayer, why don't you just let someone know in the chat or go online um, to our own website and say, hey, you know, I'm new and we'll connect you uh, in that. But like, I think that's me. So bless you guys and uh, have a great week. God bless.